<clears throat> um, my name is Pastor Ben Geetson. I'm a college young adult, adult pastor here at Grace Point. It is still me. I know I'm wearing glasses. It's okay. Um, I do feel like, though, if, if because I wear my, when I'm wearing my glasses, I feel more formal. Um, so if you would please just address me as Reverend Benjamin Thomas Geetson uh, when you <laughs> talk to me. I, I shouldn't have said that because now some of you are going to do it for like the rest of the time that we know each other. Um, have you ever heard of the phrase, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future? I'm going to do this a lot too because they're super heavy. <laughs> nice one. Show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. Now with that, I think just comes automatically pictures for us um, and even thoughts of who we are hanging out with now, of potentially who we have hung out with. My son who's four and a half years old, his name is Wesley, he's awesome, and also sometimes really frustrating, but that's okay. He one day came home, and he started to use, I'm going to say this, I'm going to laugh, because it's funny, but in the midst of it, like, I'm trying, like, when, when you're a parent, when you guys become parents, your kids will say things that you shouldn't laugh at, but you end up laughing at, um, he comes home, like, like that, he comes home, and he's at daycare all day, and, he, and I go, hey, Wesley, how was your, how was your day? What did you, you learn today? What did you, you do? What was your favorite part about today? And he'll just, he looked at me, and he goes, my day was great, duty patootie. That's what he said. That's what he said. Right. And so like that response, and the missus is like, I, I, I laugh, and I was like, man, that's super interesting. I, I don't think I've ever said that in my life, at least in front of him, maybe when I was four. Um, and so he just said these things, just like, whatever. I don't think we watch any TV shows that, like, have the phrase duty patootie. Maybe we do. I'm not paying attention very much, apparently. <laughs> and then, like, a couple weeks go along, and he starts coming home, and he starts saying these other phrases. And he starts saying these things, one, that are, like, for a four-year-old to say can be really, really funny. Um, but also in the midst of it, the way he's saying them, it's not so much the words and phrases, it's how he's saying it. And so he'll sometimes use words and phrases that are normal in any four-year-old's vocabulary, but, but it's in a way that's almost like talking back and being argumentative to me and, and my wife, Abby. And I'm thinking, man, this is just not the kid that I kind of know. When I look back on my life, and I think if we all were to just kind of look back on our life, we have these moments where the people that we spent the most time with those that we really gave ourselves over to, and what I mean by that, those that we allowed to speak into every aspect of our life, whether we realize they were doing it or not, we tend to become like those people. And now I didn't do like a, a, a full out hire a PI and send my son to my, to my kid's daycare place because that would have been psychotic. But I thought, man, there's, there, I think there's something happening at daycare where he's just catching these things that I don't, I'm not used to my kid saying stuff like this. But what's crazy is that we all tend to do this. We become most like those who we hang around with. If you look back even on my life, the majority of the success that I've had, the things that have gone just kind of really well in my life can be attributed to God placing the right people around me at the right time. And then me recognizing those relationships and those friendships and pushing into them. But the same can be said for the exact opposite. The things that have gone really, really wrong in my life potentially even decisions I've made that have been super detrimental and unhealthy 
I'm not going to say can be contributed to the people I was hanging around with, but they had a lot of influence. And just like me, I had a lot of influence on them. Show me who your friends are, and I can show you your future. It's the people that we hang around with the most, those that we really, really let speak into our life. We're in the second week of our series in rhythms, and Jana just set this up so well. As we're looking at the rhythms of Jesus, recognizing just the things that he did on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, the rhythms that he had, the things that he did um, revolved around three different relationships. And we talked about, first and foremost, the relationship with the Father, relationship with God. We talked about that last week. And this week, Jesus, and if we look at his life, we see that he had other relationships, and it was people in the midst of some of the greatest and, and, and amazing moments that Jesus did in ministry and also some of the most frustrating, hard moments of his life, he had people with him. Jesus placed a huge priority on relationships, on living with other people. And Jesus had these concentric circles of, of uh, intimate personal relationships. There were, in Luke 10, the 70 people who would follow Jesus, the 70 disciples. And then from those 70, we read um, in Luke 12, Jesus goes and prays alone all night, one night. And from the 70, he chooses a 12, 12 apostles, 12 disciples from the 70 who, who he appoints and names apostles. And, and he did the majority of his ministry with those 12 people. He lived a lot of his life with those 12 people. And then even from the 12 Jesus had three people that he was, that he invited into the most intimate moments of his life. One um, being when he, when he raised Jairus' daughter to life. She was, she was dead. He invited Peter and James and John with him and went into the house and he raised this little girl to life. Another one, and I say this a lot because I think it's so incredible, the night before Jesus' arrest and death, dying for all of humanity's sin. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he didn't go alone. He brought with him the three people who were closest with him. Not that they helped him, but he didn't want to be alone the night before. One of the hardest things he'd ever have to do. If Jesus placed a priority in relationships, how much more so should we? How much more so should we? We do not function well when we are left to ourselves. We, we are in the midst of a battle as we try to follow Jesus, as we try to live this life, doing everything that God's asking us to do. And the devil, who is our enemy, who hates us, desires for us to be in isolation, to be alone. Because it's in those moments where we're most tempted. It's in those moments where we start really disbelieving the truths of who God says he is and who he says we are. But not only did Jesus recognize and, and help us understand through Scripture that, that we shouldn't be alone and actually command us to, to meet together and be together, like the world does this. Society in general just does this. TV does this, right? There's no, there's no Tom without Jerry, right? I mean, there's no SpongeBob without Patrick. I, 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 I relate better to Patrick because I feel like we have the same body type. <clears throat> I mean, there's no, there's no Lloyd Christmas without Harry Dunn. Amen? No one, am I too old? No one? Yes. Oh, yes. All my old people who sit up in the, in the balcony and some die. That's Dumb and Dumber. Incredible, incredible movie. Super, super funny. 
I mean, even, not even with people and characters, like there's no, and, and I'm, I might be wrong here, but I don't think I'm wrong, but like in reality, for me at least, there's no peanut butter without jelly. Let's go. I mean, it's like I would rather actually have a full, a full jelly sandwich, which sounds horrible, than just have a peanut butter sandwich. And I, 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 may, I know there's people who, who are opposite of me, including my son, because what he says in the morning when he wakes up, Dad, can I have peanut butter toast? And then sometimes he'll say with jelly. I'm trying to teach him. I'm trying to train him. He doesn't understand that they both go together. I don't know what to do. If you have some pointers, please come up and tell me. There's no Sherlock without Watson. For you video games, there's no Mario without Luigi. Right? Let's go. I don't game, so I don't know why I just said that. I was like, yeah, right? Like, that's a thing. <laughs> I'm like, and I, what, I, what I find best about this too, and I knew I was, this is going to happen, is I'm spewing just references that totally relate to me, <laughs> being 31 years old. And I got to put this one in here because my wife watched this show. Man, she watches some weird shows. I love her to death. But oof, duh. <sighs> there's no, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. There's no Rory without Lorelai. All the, all, the, all the women are like, yep, you're right. <laughs> Amen. All the guys are like, no idea what you just said. I've never seen it. But yeah, the world, like, there's, there's just the reality of being in relationship with each other. Jesus knew this, and Jesus told us and, and helped, in the way he lived, show us that we were not meant to be alone. You see, even when he sent the disciples two by two, he sent them two by two. To go and what he would do in the ministry is he would send them to the towns, allowing them to go door to door knock and basically prepare them for Jesus coming to their town to do ministry. We're not meant to be alone. He never sent them alone. He always sent them at least two by two. When Jesus went to go send for a donkey before he did his main um, entrance into Jerusalem, into, into his death, he sent two people to go get the donkey and bring it back. Jesus' followers were not meant to be alone. But in our world today, and even in our church, the relationships within the church are breaking down immensely. And I think he, and here's what I believe is one of the number one reasons. Is we are a nation of fractured families, of disenfranchised friends, and increasingly independent individuals. We are a nation of fractured families. We have moms and dads and siblings even extended aunts and uncles, grandparents, there's a broken. Because we live in a world that's dominated by sin. We have disenfranchised friends, and what that means is we, we deprive each other of true, real, authentic friendship because we actually don't know how to be in relationship well with each other. And, and I really wanted to go into like blaming technology and social media and reality TV, but I really hate reality TV. But those are just things that in and of themselves aren't good or bad. A lot of time the things that push us into not having true, authentic, real relationship with one another is not so much what they are, but how we use them. And so there have been studies upon studies upon studies of, is social media bad for you? And almost every single one of them, when I got, I've read like f only four or five, but for me, that's a lot. I don't like reading a ton. And as I read them, I, it got to like, here's the reasons they're bad. Here's the reasons they can really be good. But ultimately, it's not about what they are. It's how we use them. 
It's in the midst of people feeling lonely and depressed and anxious and stressful. They try to find something that will fill that void. See, loneliness has actually gotten so bad in America, it's now actually labeled as an epidemic. We are a disconnected people who are just longing for connection. And sometimes we do that through social media. Sometimes we do that through television. Sometimes I know people who have done that through gaming. I know people who have done that through just napping and sleeping. Sleeping the day away. Because then they don't have to sit and think about how lonely they potentially are or feel they are or they are. But here's the truth I want to press into a little bit tonight. The big thing that I feel like just God has for us and the way that we looked and saw how Jesus lived his life is this. As we embrace the rhythms of Jesus, as we embrace the rhythms, rhythms of Jesus together, our goal within the church is to help each other stay satisfied in him. Now, again, we're talking about relationships within the church. Our goal in general, give glory to God, is to love God with all heart, soul, and strength and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But when it comes to our relationships with each other in the church, our biggest goal, as we see what Jesus did well, what the apostles did well with each other, what the history of the church has tried to do really, really well with each other, is to continue to spur one another on, to encourage one another in staying completely satisfied in Jesus. Because he's more than enough. Every single one of us, every single one of us, are pushing to become more like Jesus. Are trying to become more like, trying to live up into everything and be exactly who God says we already are and it's hard and we can't do it alone. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. We need each other. We are not meant to live this life in general alone. We are created for a relationship, and even more so, we are not meant to try to follow Jesus alone. Craig Detwiller uh, was a president of a, a seminary in Seattle, and he puts it this way. The affirming message of the gospel is that God wants to aid and guide us in the struggle to be human and invites us into a relationship with him. Boom. We are created for relationship. The gospel says, listen, the Father, who is God, who created everything, who is holy and perfect, created you to be in relationship with him, period. That's why Jesus was sent. And then he says, but the Bible also teaches us that when we find ourselves, excuse me, in true fulfillment, not in isolation, not even as we engage with one another, but rather when we relate to God through one another, The challenge for the church is to emphasize the communal nature of the Christian faith and to commit to authentic expressions of that nature. It's not so much how we engage one another because I can sit down with someone who also follows Jesus and is trying to live this life and do everything and live up to everything that God says that they are. And I can sit down with that person for hours upon hours. I've had drives sitting with other Christians who I love and who are close friends And we're talking and having conversation and Jesus never gets brought up. I think we have these relationships and we miss the true, I don't know, reality of what God desires for us in these relationships. 
because I talk about football a ton. (laughs) I talk about TV a ton. But it becomes, for some reason, super awkward, and it's something we have to practice just to say, what do you feel like God's been teaching here recently? Or to be super honest and authentic with the person who I actually am really close with or the people that I'm really close with and just say, hey man, here's what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? Because the devil in his scheming and his attacking wants to force us to believe that we're alone in the things that we're struggling with when in reality we're not alone. So he puts us into isolation. We see this modeled super well in Acts 2, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago if you're here. Acts 2, 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that word fellowship there, <coughs> that didn't work. I thought, it, I thought I'd help you out, and it didn't work. The word fellowship there is Christian fellowship, which means koinonia, and it signifies a sharing with someone in something or a participation in something or with someone. Koinonia. You can go to that next slide. Koinonia, which signifies sharing with someone in something or participation in something or with someone. So they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to koinonia, to saying we're in this together. Not only in the thoughts and the beliefs and the truths that we see in Scripture revealed to us of who God is and who we are and what he wants us to do, but in everyday aspects of life. In the trying to figure out how to overcome the temptation and the sin that I just keep going back to you. They modeled this so well in saying, no, here's how we're going to live together, encouraging one another and pushing forward. And so what I'm going to do the rest of the time is I want to talk about what I believe are four different aspects of what God desires for his people in the church, of how he wants us to relate to one another, to live life together. And as I talk about these four different things, I think for me, even as I was studying and reading and praying and and writing it out, I wanted to go through each one and say, okay, where am I just really, really terrible at this and how can I fix it? And then I move on to the next one. I think, man, where am I really, really terrible at this and where can I fix it? And I did it with all four. And that's our temptation is that we want the immediate fix, the whole fix right now. As I go through this, the four different aspects and qualities I believe that God desires for his church, for the people within his church of how we are to relate to one another. What's the one, one area, one aspect, one reality you feel God is gonna ask you tonight to press into? Because I really believe even, even as I was praying and thinking about this, if we can press into the one, I believe that's gonna affect the rest of them. So as I talk, What's that one area that you believe God's asking you to press into? The first one is this. God desires for our relationships to be personal and not transactional. Number one, taking notes going right now. Personal and not transactional. I wanted to put personal and not functional, but function is not always a bad thing. And transactional is not always a bad thing, but it is when it comes to relationships. Especially when it comes to relationships in the church. I too much love fast food. Like just, oh, Taco John's, come on, all day. Like I even work there and I'll still go eat it. 
You hear these like horror stories of people working in fast food. It's like, I'm never eating there again. I've worked in Taco John's. I still eat there because we made awesome food. And we did it, I think, pretty well. I don't know. <laughs> That's a transactional relationship. I go, I give them my order, right? I say, can I please have this? I say, yeah, we'll make that up for you. You got to pay us. Okay, here's my money. Here's the card because I've gone over budget and don't have any more cash for fast food this week. And then I pull up and they say the second window and I go, okay, thank you. That's a trans, and those aren't bad. <clears throat> it can become personal if I, which I've done this, if I go too often. Like if I go too often at the same time during the, you guys know, I go too often. Man, there's a time where we were in school in the city. I shouldn't tell, I'm gonna tell a story. I'm gonna get so, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go over time. <laughs> we would, me and my wife, when we lived in the cities, we lived really close to Panera Bread. Don't know if you guys know what Panera is. I think it's really great. Too expensive a lot of the time, but it's super good. And we would go there, and what we do is, like, we'd have these, I was working part-time, she was in grad school, and we'd go, and we'd study together, because I was also finishing my undergrad. And so we'd go, and we'd study, and then I, I wouldn't stay there as long as her, because I'm not a good student. And she would go, and she, she ended up actually going then every day. And what ended up happening is that the people started to recognize her and started giving her coffee and soda for free every day, which is just sweet. has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just wanted to share that story. <laughs> Sometimes those transactional relationships become personal. Jesus had personal relationships. You don't invite people in those three, Peter, James, and John, into the most intimate moments of your life, both hard at the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and joyous and, and uplifting and victorious when he raised Jairus' daughter from the grave. Those are personal relationships, personal moments. And here's what personal really is. It personal recognizes that I'm not alone on this journey of living out who God says I am. Personal recognizes I'm not alone on this journey of living out who God says I am. So it's, it's the not just showing up to church or even the small group so I can maybe check it off my list and feel a little bit better that I actually did something with my faith this week. It's not just the going and, and, and not pressing into conversation. It's not even sometimes, and I've, I've heard of some believers doing this where they show up to a, a service or, or they show up to church almost as a consumer just wanting to get things for themselves and then just leaving. God desires for our relationships to be personal, not transactional. Second one, he wants our relationships to be deepening and not superficial. And I, I use the word deepening intentional. I feel like we throw around the word deep a lot in the church and we don't really know what we're saying. When, when, when I say God wants our relationship to be deepening and not superficial, it's this recognition that relationships are not something that are just like static and happen. They take time. And deepening gives us this recognition that I'm continuing to grow in this relationship with these people. Galatians 6.2 says this. It's going to be up on the screen. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we have deepening relationships with, with, with each other, it's this idea of we're actually so for each other that we're creating space and time 
to pray for and help each other carry each other's burdens. It's not this superficial, even with our best friends, I think we do this sometimes. It's not this superficial, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, or I'm fine. Okay, great. You watched the Vikes game? Yeah, they crushed. Did you know the weather is good? To, like, why do we go to the weather? Why is that like a thing that we go to in our conversation? It's like superficial, it's not real. God's asking for our relationship to be deepening and not superficial, not servicey. It's, it's the reality that, how can I say this well? That I'm actually gonna share my joys and virtues and desires and hurts with you and be okay with that. And what we have to know with this is we can't have deep relationships with everyone. Jesus had really, really deepening relationships with three disciples. He lived his life with 12 and he was close to. And then he had this group of 70 that followed him around and then there were the crowds. And it's impossible for us to have deepening relationships with everyone. But with that being said, there is a desire for the Father and why we gather like this is to help each other and he, what he does is he puts people in the right place at the right time to help us become fully who God says that we are. And that starts with us just being authentic and real and having deepening relationships, not superficial. Do you have people in your life that can ask you hard questions about what is really going on? And do you trust them enough to be honest? Because you're not alone in the struggles and frustrations and hurts that you're going through. Third, Jesus is asking for our relationship to be sacrificial and not selfish. Romans 12.10 says, one another, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Where it's, I'm not just gonna use these relationships for my own gain. Where I'm I'm gonna do the things that Jesus is asking for me and I'm actually gonna look at my brother and sister and as I see them, I'm gonna outdo them in honoring them and loving them. And here's here's what love is, very simple. This is what love is. Love is desiring God's best for someone else. That's what love is. I think there's just, we throw out the word love and we don't define it well and there's all these words of what love is. Love is desiring God's best for someone else. And so as I desire God's best for someone else, I'm laying down myself and my needs and my wants and my desires and I'm going and I'm serving them well. And in the midst of when I see frustration or even joy, I'm going and I'm celebrating the joys with them as they're celebrating, but I'm also weeping in the sorrows of their life as they're weeping. We live in a time and in a culture of feeling like we're really, and, and forcing ourselves to be really, really busy. And I think sometimes to have a sacrificial relationship with someone else versus a selfish one is just to take some time, is to stop. Last one, God desires for our relationships to be encouraging and not hindering. We're gonna end in Hebrews 3 and verses uh, 12 and 13, it says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, 
so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think there are moments and times where we have personal relationships and deepening relationships, and even sometimes sacrificial relationships, and we miss out on the aspect of really asking, how's your soul? How is it with you and Jesus? And in the midst of those moments, I think we miss out on what it really means to encourage one another and help each other fully be who God says that we are. He says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There are moments in our life where we all doubt. That's just truth. There are moments in our life where we have unbelief. And a lot of the times it's because of the sin that happens in our life, the things that we do that we know we're not supposed to do when we live for ourselves. And what he says is make sure that sin doesn't lead to an unbelieving heart, which leads you away from God. And then the very next verse, he tells us how to do it. Hey, here's how you keep that from happening. Encourage each other. (laughs) Be with each other. Help each other. Love on each other. Pray for each other. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. God created us to be in relationship, first and foremost with him, next with each other, as we try to live up to everything God says that we are. And we do that through encouraging one another. In the midst of frustration and pain, but also in the midst of celebration and when life is good, we're encouraging one another. We have a video that we're going to play that probably sums up why we need each other better than me just sitting up here and talking. (laughs) So we're going to play the video. Go ahead and watch it. Hi guys, my name is Sam Van Orman, um, and I just wanted to share my testimony with you um, concerning Bible study, a small group here at Oasis. Um, so going back a few years, um, I had gone to a couple Bible study groups um, my freshman and sophomore year. Um, and ever growing or growing up, I was a Catholic, um, and church for me was kind of a, a necessity, but it, it wasn't something that I was actively pursuing. Um, but then I was faced with a, a pretty difficult situation about a year ago. Um, I, I went through a, a pretty tough uh, breakup with a girl that I've been dating for about three and a half years um, and kind of hit rock bottom and didn't know where to go from there. Um, so one, one of my good buddies got me hooked up with uh, a small group here at Oasis um, that definitely transformed my life. Um, I was opening up to these guys more than I would my, my parents or my family, um, confiding in them, um, telling them things about the things I was going through and, and where I wanted to be. Um, a year down the road. This is probably the first time in my life that um, I had act- actively pursued a relationship with Christ. Um, I was connected with different different podcasts and listening to different sermons. I was um, getting more connected with the Word and, and confiding in, in brothers in Christ that, that actively or that truly cared about who I was as a person and wanted to see a spiritual growth in my life. Um, throughout this this difficult time in my life, it's not that I didn't have <clears throat> people that were there. To support me, I had friend groups, I had family, um, but this was different because these guys were focused on on Jesus and pursuing a relationship with Him. Um, they definitely pointed me in the right direction and good examples of, of who to follow and how to how to pursue a relationship with Christ in that respect. So, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without those guys, and I I definitely encourage all you who are hesitant about joining a small group. 
um, to go ahead and do so because it can change your life in ways that uh, you'll never be able to imagine. It's, it's not that small group in and of itself was this great thing that transformed his life. It was as he connected with a group of people who were also trying to figure out what it looks like to fully be who Jesus is asking us to be and who he says that we are in the midst of us, of him living that journey and going through whatever he was going through. It didn't matter about what the issue was. It says as he was doing that, as he was sharing his dreams and his hopes, his frustrations and his sorrows, they together, God used that group together and used the people that, that he was in the group with to encourage him, to comfort him, but ultimately to allow the Holy Spirit to transform his soul, his heart, and his mind to be ultimately who, who God says he already was. And so we're going to go into prayer. And I'm not telling you to join a small group because small groups are great and we want everyone in small group. I'm saying, can you be honest with yourself enough just to be able to answer the question, okay, do I have those people in my life? Because we do small groups to be able to provide an opportunity for you to have those people in your life to encourage you in times when life's just stinks and it's hard, but to celebrate you in those moments where life is good. And, and I, in trying to be personal with each other and deepening with each other and sacrificial with each other and encouraging to one another, what I love about he, how Jesus lived his life and how he had those relationships is that he never made it clickish. There were never moments where People stopped following him because he just hung out with a certain group of people all the time. Because in the midst of him having those three and the 12, those deepening and close relationships and friendships, he was still open and available to all. And I don't know how he did it. He had healthy boundaries. He knew he couldn't, even in the midst of, of, of being God himself, he couldn't be all things to all people as he was still human and living this life because he still, like us, only had 24 hours in the day. But he balanced relationships really, really well. And so where's your balance? Do you have those personal relationships? Do you have those deepening relationships that allow you to bear each other's burdens where you know you can lay just hard stuff on people and they'll pray for you and before you and with you. Do you love the church? Do you desire God's best for everyone here? Are you encouraging or are you hindering? As you go into prayer, there's gonna be people in the back who wanna pray for you. There's a chapel through the double doors if you wanna go through there and be prayed for. What I love so much about Oasis and, and, and the community that gets built here is that every single year, and sometimes, and I would argue maybe every single week, we have people who come in feeling absolutely alone, even though there are 400 some people here. And so if you're one of those people who go day to day, week to week, feeling alone, we have people in the back who want to pray for you, who want to encourage you, who want to tell you and pray for you and say they're there for you and God is for you and there for you. So know that that's just available in the back. Father, we thank you for this moment.
We thank you for opportunity to, to gather, to worship, to, to lift up your name, King Jesus. To be in a, in a place where we recognize that church is not for perfect people who have perfect thoughts, who do perfect actions and say perfect things. But we are an imperfect group of people who because of your love and grace, Father, through your son Jesus, are able to say, we are yours. Are able to say, we have a God in heaven who loves us, not because of the things that we've done, because we can't earn that love. God, you love us based off of who you are. And so in our imperfection, I just, I praise and thank you for that love. I ask just even now in this moment, encourage, encourage these young adults as they pray. Give them clarity on what you're asking them to do, asking them to press into. And we thank you that you command us to continue meeting together because our relationship with you is not one we are meant to do alone. 